0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassnack Files. And this week we are talking 206 best laid schemes. But before we get to the episode analysis, I want to take a moment to remind you guys that you can find the Sassnack Files on all kinds of platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. If you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you head on over to Facebook and like and head over to Instagram to follow for all of the latest and greatest Sassanac Files news. Also, if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure to head over and check out the Sassanac Files blog at www.thesassanacfiles.com, where there is a new article up every week for you guys to check out during Droughtlander. This week's article is called In Other News, which is basically just a summary of everything that the cast has been up to. Even though filming is kind of at a standstill right now, they have still been very, very busy with all kinds of other projects, so I've just compiled a list for you guys to check out there. Alright, so without further ado, let's get into the episode analysis on 206 Best Laid Schemes. And you know, I always kind of find this episode to be a catch 22 because for some reason it feels a little bit slow to me, but in reality, it's actually a very jam packed episode. A lot happens. So I guess kind of the first thing that I want to talk about is the very first scene of the episode because Jamie holds true to his promise to Claire that he made at the end of 205, saying that he would not duel with Blackjack Randall. He would give a year to make sure that Frank's ancestor was conceived. He agreed to that with Claire. So at the beginning of this episode, you kind of get the sense that some time has passed it's unclear how much time exactly, but when you get a look at Claire and her, like, hello baby bump, <laughs> you get a really good grasp on the fact that it has probably been a couple of months. And Blackjack has just been released from the Bastille. Murta's excited. He's like, hey, he's been released. I will get with his second and we can do the duel in a couple of days' time. To which Jamie's like, no, I withdrew the challenge. And you can tell it costs Jamie something to admit that. I mean, it's been a couple of months and he hasn't told Myrta that he agreed to this. Which in and of itself is a big deal because Jamie tells Myrta everything. Even now, Jamie is still struggling with it. But, you know, he promised Claire and he's going to stick with that promise. Myrta is beyond pissed because Myrta's an extremely proud man, as is Jamie, but Myrta doesn't understand the motivations behind what is happening. And Jamie can't tell him, obviously, because it has a lot to do with Claire being a time traveler and the information that she has. And he, again, promised Claire that he wouldn't tell anybody. So Jamie's really between a rock and a hard place here. And After Myrta storms out, Magnus comes in with Jamie's breakfast tray. He's like, where is me, lady, this morning? And Magnus is like, oh, she's at the hospital. And here's where you kind of get the undercurrent of anger still in Jamie. Because he's like, oh, of course she is. You know, it's like, she can't be bothered to be around the house. So she's obviously at the hospital. What else could she be doing? So that's where you kind of get the initial feeling that something's still not quite right with Jamie and Claire and we haven't seen Claire at this point so we don't know exactly how much time has passed but then when it flashes to Claire at the hospital and you see how big her stomach is it's like holy crap it's been about probably 2 months of this iciness between the two of them and You're kind of wondering how their relationship dynamic actually is at this point. Because when we left Claire and Jamie at the end of 205, it was icicles. Like, you could see your breath in that room. That's the level of coldness between them. Jamie said, don't touch me. And then to see that we're two months on from this and they are still dealing with it. It's like I said... Jamie was at a point where he's like, you know, don't touch me. Like, I'm really mad at you, and I don't know if we're going to get through this. And you're seeing the repercussions of that so early on in this episode, and we know that it's a quite a bit of time has passed. Murta's anger kind of arcs over this episode, and he has a right to be angry. I mean, he's done nothing but help Jamie and Claire and hasn't really asked any questions for the better part of the season. And I can imagine how frustrating that would be to unquestioningly do as these people ask. But they're asking him to do some really weird stuff. And he doesn't understand why they can't just kill Charlie and be done with it, you know? He knows they want to stop the rebellion, but he doesn't know why. And in the very, very first episode, Jamie said... When the time comes, I will tell you everything. He promised him that. And I think Myrta's just kind of been waiting and trusting in that, trusting in Jamie. But at the same time, it's been six months, roughly, of this. So Myrta's running out of patience. And they're kind of constantly grasping at straws in this episode. And you can see that Myrta's just done with it. So when they go to implement the whole fake smallpox scheme, Claire gives Jamie a combination of bitter cascara, essence of rosemary, rose matter, mash of nettles, to create vomiting, severe stomach pains, blood in the urine, fever, and a rash. <laughs> so <laughs> Jamie's the guinea pig for Claire's brilliant experiment to create faux smallpox. And I love how Myrta just looks at him with his eyebrows raised and is like, you're in for a pleasant evening. Like, uh, I can't imagine letting somebody do that to me, just giving me all of these weird herbs that are supposed to produce things like severe stomach pains, vomiting, and blood in the urine. Like, how could that possibly be good for the human body? I don't. Know and so part of me questions Claire's mindset because it's like okay well is it really not gonna affect Jamie at all like is he gonna be able to recover fully from this and be fine because blood in the urine and severe stomach pains and a fever just it it sounds really bad I I hope I'm not the only one that feels that way but in all of this Myrta's watching it and he's like you guys are going to really great lengths to figure something out and make this shipment not happen. Because the whole point of it is, is just to refresh your guys' memory, is that this shipment that is coming in is going to be split 50-50 between Sandra Mann and Charles Stewart, or a third for Jamie, Charles, and Sanderman. And the money is supposed to be going towards the Jacobite Rising. And Jamie and Claire are trying to thwart the Jacobite Rising and, by extension, this wine venture. But Sandra Mann's extremely suspicious of Jamie. He hasn't forgotten what happened with Claire destroying his ship and all his goods in the season premiere. So he's very suspicious automatically, and he believes that Jamie and Claire have it out for him. So he's not really keen to this idea anyway. So when all the men at his warehouse suddenly come down with what appears to be smallpox, and Charlie's like, Jamie, can you rush the shipment to your warehouse so we don't lose the wine? Because it'll be confiscated if the authorities get hold of the idea that a bunch of sandgerman's crew have come down with smallpox they will confiscate all of his product and his ship and everything and destroy it because they believe that's the only way to eradicate any sort of disease in that time so they're rushing to put together a plan and this is where the fake smallpox comes into effect jamie and fergus take off for sandgerman's warehouse and do all of this according to Claire's instructions. Obviously, it looks super suspicious when Sandra Mann and Jamie are attacked by this mob on their way to Jamie's warehouse with all the wine. And they steal all the wine and they leave an incapacitated Jamie and a very angry Sandra Mann in the wilderness. <laughs> it's successful on that front. So Jamie's on a pretty big high after all of this because. He's sidestepped the minefield and Charlie has finally given up on making any sort of money. He's like, I'll be persona non grata with the people of Paris. (laughs) So Jamie's like, thank God, is this finally over? Like, am I done trying to thwart this guy's every move? (laughs) Because I'm sure that Jamie's just exhausted after six months of constantly having to look two steps ahead and block Charlie's path. I'm sure he's just at his wit's end. So the fact that after all of this, he finally feels like he's won and he's made some sort of progress. Yeah, I'm sure he feels really good coming home from that. Yeah, so he's in a good place for the most part, except for a giant goose egg on his head. But Rewinding a little bit, because the scene where Claire is testing the smallpox out on Jamie, Myrta gets extremely angry and kind of just explodes. He's been at boiling point for a good portion of the past couple of episodes, but now he's just like, I'm I'm done with this. Jamie gets it, you know, and I think Claire does too. They're just wondering if they can really trust him with this. And I think they know they can, but they've been holding the secret so tight to the vest for so long now that sharing it with anybody is questionable. <laughs> Jamie kind of looks at Claire and he's like, we have to tell him. And Claire agrees that they need to tell him everything. So this is the episode after a good season of no one knowing except for Claire and Jamie. Now Myrta is brought into the fold. And I really love that they kind of did this as a no audio montage, kind of giving it the feel that some time is passing, but we don't have to hear the whole story over and over again, when we've already witnessed the whole story over the course of, you know, a season and a half at this point. So at the end, Myrta has this great line where he says, if you believe your wife to be a witch, who am I to contradict you? (laughs) And then he punches Jamie in the face, like, seriously, dude, just venting all of his frustration. And Jamie knows he can't say a damn thing about it because, you know, you reap what you sow. (laughs) And then Myrta's like, you should have trusted me with that knowledge from the beginning." And I get what Myrta's saying because he is completely trustworthy. And on a lot of levels, I'm sure that Jamie and Claire knew that. That no matter how Myrta felt about it personally, he felt a sense of loyalty to these two. And he wouldn't ever put that in jeopardy. I really think that they could have told him earlier and they probably feel that way too, seeing how he reacted. But. Better safe than sorry. And I think, honestly, that after the search in season one, Myrta and Claire built this bond that is very similar to Jamie and Myrta's bond. Myrta views Claire as an extension of his love, affection, and loyalty to Jamie. I feel like she earned that in his eyes, and he wouldn't ever do anything to jeopardize her safety, and he trusts her unconditionally. So I think that... As far as that's concerned, they probably could have told him earlier, but I completely understand why they didn't as well. There's this wonderful conversation with Myrta and Claire after he finds out, and he shows her this piece of paper where he's written the years 1918 through 1945, which are the years that Claire lived in the 20th century. And he said, you lived through all these years. And she kind of points out a couple of important years to him and says, you know, this is the year I was born. This is the year I became a nurse. Important milestones for her in her life. And Myrta kind of keeping with the idea that maybe she is a witch and she is all knowing, he says, but you can all the dates, you know, when things will happen when people will die. And she says, I don't know about you. And I don't know about Jamie. He says, even knowing what Jamie says you do, I wouldn't want to bear that burden. It's really awesome for me to hear Myrta say that because he gets it, you know, it's not this gift to know the future. It's really a huge burden and a huge weight on Jamie and Claire to know these things and to feel an obligation to try to stop it from happening. I can't imagine that responsibility. So I'm glad that even immediately after they shared this with him, he understands. And he gets it. I think that makes them feel a lot more at ease with telling him, knowing that he's not going to question their decisions because he knows how big of a burden it is to bear and that they're doing everything they can to stop bad things from happening. Because, you know, he even says, he's like, you know about the rising, you know when it starts and when it ends and that it doesn't end well that's when Claire says, you know, unless we stop it from happening altogether, no, it doesn't end well. But that's what we're trying to do. And I think Murta loses his anger after Jamie and Claire tell him what's going on because he kind of understands now. He understands the motivations behind their decisions and why they're taking the actions they're taking and why they're asking him to do what he's doing. I think that goes for anybody. Like, a lot of people just want explanations for why they're being asked to do what it is that they're doing. They don't necessarily want input or whatever. They just want to know the reasoning behind it. So, at least in my head, when a loved one asks me to do something, I just want to know the rationale behind it. Yeah, I I really just grew to love Myrta even more in this episode because, yes, he's witty and he's such a smart ass and he's comedic relief, but this is where he really becomes part of the family. And I really, really appreciated this episode for that. So with all of that out of the way, kind of all the housekeeping details or the big plot movers, I really want to take a moment to talk about a couple of Jamie and Claire scenes. Because this episode, for some reason, the scenes between Jamie and Claire hit me like a Mack truck. This episode, I just was like, oh my god. (laughs) I hate seeing the main characters in pain anyway. Like, it's kind of like akin to what some people... Feel when they get a tattoo like it really hurts, but then there's something addicting about that as well. So it's like a car accident, like you can't look away, but it's painful to watch (laughs) because that's what Outlander is, right? Like Jamie and Claire constantly being put in some sort of emotional agony and seeing how they respond to it. That's pretty much all the show is, let's be honest. That and sex. (laughs) So yeah. But for some reason, these scenes, particularly the very first scene between Jamie and Claire, that one really hit me. Like, tears hit me. Which I'm not a big crier anyway. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you guys. But I view tearing up differently than crying. I think probably there's five episodes in this entire series so far that have actually evoked Physical tears coming out of my eyes that's different to me than getting choked up or having tears in my eyes, but not actually crying. <laughs> so um, I'm not an easy crier, and I actually cried when I was watching this episode this time. I think it might have something to do with the fact that i and I know I mentioned this last week, I just finished reading the Scottish Prisoner, which is kind of some events in Jamie's life that happen after the Battle of Culloden, and yeah. The scene that I'm talking about is Jamie's sitting rubbing Claire's feet in front of the fire and they're not really talking. They're kind of in this in-between. You know, they're still kind of awkward with each other after this huge blowout fight and they're trying to figure out how to get past it. Jamie comes out and says, you know, I've been thinking. I didn't give you Randall's life in payment of a debt. And Claire's kind of automatically got her walls up because she's like, okay, really this again? Like I was hoping we were going to be able to get past it, but she's curious at the same time. And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, I've saved your life just as often as you've saved mine. So I didn't give you his life in payment of a debt. And she's like, then why did you do it? Because obviously he was very serious in his promise to her. He didn't duel with Randall. In fact, he withdrew his challenge after he was released from the Bastille. So Jamie's kept his word, but his motivations are different than what she initially thought. And it comes out that, you know, like I said, Jamie and Claire have been dealing with the Prince Charlie issue for five or six months at this point. And it just seems like every time they get ahead of the guy, he's got another plan concocted. So Jamie's like, you know, look, this is going to be what it's going to be. I think we've thwarted Charles about as much as we can at this point. And he said, one of my favorite lines of the episode, and it's kind of a lengthy one. He says... We've thwarted him all we can, Claire. We may find ourselves staring into the abyss, awaiting us at the bottom of Culloden Moor. So if anything should happen to me, I want there to be a place for you. Someone to care for you. And our bairn. I want it to be a man that loves you. Guys. Oh, man. I just get so emotional thinking about this, because you have to realize what Jamie's saying here. It's that if it comes to a fight, he's going to fight and he knows there's a very good chance that he's going to be killed in the process. And even if he's not killed, he knows the Highlands are going to be a very dangerous place to be after the Battle of Culloden. It is not safe anymore. And so what he's saying to her in this moment is if we fail, I need you to promise me that you will go back through the stones. Even if it means leaving him, he needs her to take their child and go back through the stones where they're going to be safe. And he left Blackjack alive because he is Frank's direct ancestor. And if Claire ends up having to go back to the 20th century, he wants there to be a man there to love and protect her the way that Jamie would love and protect her and their child. Jamie's really laying it all out on the line here. And Claire can't believe what she's hearing. I mean, that would be devastating to hear that, you know, even though Jamie is still 100% fighting to change the future, he's putting contingency plans into place because he knows that as hard as he's fighting, It may all be for nothing. And he wants his family to be safe, even if that means that they're safe with another man. I think that if you're watching this for the first time, it may not sink in with you a lot. Especially if you haven't read the books, you may still be optimistic that something will happen and she will stay with him and that the future will be all bright and sunny and, you know, rainbows everywhere. But if you're watching this for a second time or a third time, or in my case, the fifth or sixth time, I promise you, it's going to hit you like a Mack truck one of these days, as it did for me. And uh, I really do think it's because I've kind of, I dived deeper into this series this summer and kind of read some of the background supplemental stories. It's really devastating, some of the stuff that's going on. So... I felt like I just maybe was in Jamie's head a little bit more in the scene. I was understanding his emotions more. And yeah, it really just hit me really hard. And especially when he leaned in and put his head on her stomach and was just holding his, his entire world there with him. That really just got me choked up because, spoiler alert, he's going to have to give it up. He's going to lose it, and that's really hard for me to think about because if I was ever asked to give up my entire family and everything I loved in the world, I don't know if I could do it, so it's really hard to think about that, but I'm going to stop talking about that because I'm probably going to erupt in hysterics and nobody wants to hear that, (laughs) so... There was another really cute little scene towards the end of this episode that Jamie and Claire had together where he's laying in bed with Claire and they kind of just had not like an argument, but a disagreement about how things should be handled before Jamie goes with Sandra Mann to retrieve the wine. And she's like, I just really feel like this is unnecessarily risky. You know, why are we taking these chances? It's just asking for something to go wrong, which he they have this hilarious exchange where she's like, this just feels dangerous. And he says, it is. And she's like, you know, every now and then you can lie to me, you know, just to set my mind at ease. And he's like, uh, I'll keep that in mind next time. <laughs> um, Because, you know, he promised never to lie to her. So he's not. He's given both barrels. He's like, okay, this, yeah, it is risky, but we're doing what we have to do, right? So, (laughs) and Claire's just kind of upset thinking about all the things that could go wrong. And that's what she's saying when they're laying in bed. She's like, I'm sorry I lost my temper, but it just, it scares her to think about all the things that could go wrong in this situation. And there are a lot of things that could go wrong in this situation, (laughs) She said, bad things just tend to happen when we're apart. They're just having this conversation. And then the baby kicks and Jamie feels it. And you can kind of tell that this might be the first time that Jamie's felt his child kick. And he was like, oh, wow, did it just? And she's like, did he just? And she's like, yes, she did. And... He kind of rolls his eyes because he thinks it's a boy and she thinks it's a girl. Typical spouse thinking about their future children. (laughs) And he says, can it hear me? And, you know, then he talks to it and he's saying how much he can't wait to meet them. And it's really just so sweet and beautiful. I really love that scene. It makes my heart swell every time I see it. And then it makes me want to cry all over again because of what happens. But Jamie is really looking forward to being a father. You can really sense that in this episode. It's been a source of light for him in a time in his life where there hasn't really been a lot of optimism. It's been a lot of stress. It's been a lot of mental anguish. This comes off of the heels of one of the worst things that will ever happen to him in his entire life. And his child, the idea of being a father, it lifts him up and it makes him feel lighter. There's this quote, I don't know if I've shared it on social media yet, but there's this quote in *Dragonfly in Amber* where he talks about how seeing Claire pregnant with his child makes him feel hollow as a soap bubble that he'll burst with the joy of it, and you really get that in this scene that he just feels elated every time he thinks about the prospect of having a having a son or a daughter. Kind of on the heels of that, we also see a lot of Jamie Claire Fergus bonding. They're really building a little family in this episode. You know, there's the scene where Fergus and Jamie are sitting at the breakfast table and Fergus idolizes Jamie, you know, he really views him as a a role model and a father figure. And Claire is becoming very fond of this little French boy, this little street urchin that is slowly but surely becoming a little man. And, you know, he's playing around with the bandages and she's like, pay attention, you know, (laughs) just like any mother who's got a fidgety child. She's like, stop that. And then, of course, when they're getting ready to go to the comp's warehouse and unhinge all the plans, she said, don't do anything dim-witted. And he's like, who, me? (laughs) So you can really, really see them starting to build this little family. It's really great. And it also makes complete sense to have all of these scenes in this episode when we find out. The real story of what happened in the next episode. Why Jamie broke his promise to Claire. Which is the big, like, explosion on everybody's remnants of happiness in this episode. Jamie broke his promise. And we don't know why. We have a pretty good idea based on what they showed us in this episode, but we don't have the gory details. Of course not. Let's save that for next week. (laughs) dang showrunners claire comes home she's had a really rough night she's had some spotting had some blood on her stockings and mother hildegard assured her it wasn't an issue and claire probably has heard that it's relatively normal to have some spotting as long as it's not persistent bleeding but mother hildegard insisted that she rest and so she did And she comes home completely exhausted, you know, in that third trimester where you feel as big as a whale and you can't even walk right. (laughs) Because You can just tell. She's just like, oh, I don't feel good. Like, when is this tiny little human going to be out of me? (laughs) All the servants are kind of just really quiet, not their normal, cheerful selves. And she knows that something's off. And she goes up to the bedroom. To find Jamie's brace and a note that says, I'm sorry, I must. And Suzette starts to tell her the story and she starts freaking out because, you know, I think she really implicitly trusted Jamie to keep his word. She never questioned it for a second once he gave it. He's never given her reason to think that he would back out on it. He's... A man of honor. He doesn't go back on his word. Ever. And that's exactly what he's done. And she's devastated. Because A. In her mind she thinks this means. That only one of her husbands is coming out of this. Jamie's either going to kill Blackjack. And by extension kill Frank. Or Blackjack is going to kill Jamie. That is the only way that this can end. And so... On the way to the woods, Claire is in quite a bit of discomfort, you can tell. And I think the average viewer probably is wondering at this point, well, is she in labor? What's happening? And when she gets to the woods, she said in the voiceover, I couldn't say anything because that would cause distraction for Jamie. And if I distracted him, that could be fatal. She didn't have any choice, but she's in a lot of pain at this point, like a lot. And she starts hemorrhaging. And we know like, oh, this is far worse. Like this is not labor. This is her miscarrying this child. And with the amount of blood she's hemorrhaging, her life is in danger as well, which no bueno. So it's just like all of these things, these terrible things happening all at once. Jamie ends up stabbing Black Jack in the crotch, which, ha ha, <laughs> stick that in your pipe and smoke it, Jack Randall. Um, but also then you're thinking, oh shit, well, if Black Jack Randall stabbed in his male member, then what's that mean for Frank? Oops. Um so there's that and Jamie even says in Dragonfly and Amber it's not ever mentioned in the show. He says, "You know, I had it in my mind that I promised you I wouldn't kill him." And so that's why he stabbed him in the crotch, but then he was like, "I realized that didn't make much sense either." <laughs> like he was in the process of apologizing to Claire for all of this cuz Claire in the books didn't see where Blackjack was stabbed and uh so, yeah, it it caused a lot of problems. And then, of course, after Jamie stabs Blackjack, Claire cries out for him because she's in a lot of pain. She knows she's miscarrying their child. She knows her life is in danger. And she wants Jamie by her side more than anything. And we see that even going into the next episode. Jamie is screaming for Claire, but it's too late because the gendarmes have come and they're arresting him. So really just their lives have imploded in a matter of a couple hours. And it's just devastating for everybody involved. And it's a hell of a cliffhanger because it just ends with Jamie on his knees crying for Claire and Claire laying on her side in Magnus's arms. And then she loses consciousness and we go to Black. And that is that for another week. So holy smokes, guys, this was a huge plot episode, like huge. And so I don't know why I am (laughs) like, when this episode came up on the list, I was like, oh, best laid schemes. Like, am I excited to talk about that one? I don't think so. (laughs) And then I watched it and I was like, wow, there's actually a lot to talk about in this episode. So I was excited to talk about it once I rewatched and kind of got a feel for all of the things that there were to discuss so with that in mind i want to talk about my my quote of the episode which comes right after jamie gets back from his trek to the comps warehouse at la and claire's like you know did it work she's really hoping it worked because she doesn't know what else they're going to do to trump Charles's efforts. Jamie's like, well, I didn't stick around to find out. And she's kind of worried about it. And he crawls into bed with her and smiles. And he said, dinner, fashion money and down. If anybody can deliver pestilence and disease, it's us. Ah, <laughs> oh, I miss Jamie's humor. I miss it so much. Um, He is really one of the funniest characters in the book series. And I feel like it's not included in the show enough, but when it is included in the show, it's just gold. So I love that line. And then um, my performance of the episode was a couple of people. The first was Duncan LaCroix, because I really felt like he did a great job this episode on expressing his anger and his frustration. It's kind of hard to get that across as an actor without seeming pissy or grumpy. You know, you want there to be an intent behind your frustration. And so I felt like Duncan did a really good job with that this episode to make us Understand his feelings and to feel sympathy and empathy for him versus just like rolling our eyes and saying, Good lord, Myrta's just this grumpy old man. I mean, he is, and that's just part of the charm of his character. But it was great to understand that there was more to this anger and frustration than just the typical grouch that he is some of the time. So, I really liked that. And then I also felt that Adrienne Marie Ziet, who plays Suzette, I felt like she did a really good job as well. She has this light and funny personality that's a perfect juxtaposition to Myrta's grouchiness. So I love that they have this little fling going on. But then when Claire came back from the hospital and Suzette was just really timid, not wanting to tell her what was happening, very just like, okay, I'm gonna go wash this cloak now. (laughs) I felt like that scene was really strong for her and that she really did a good job of conveying a difficult situation. So hats off to her. I really enjoyed her work in this episode. All right, well, I think that about wraps up the episode analysis on season two, episode six, Best Laid Schemes. If you have any comments or questions about this episode or any previous episode of the Sassnack Files, make sure to reach out via email at thesassnackfiles at gmail.com or just reply to that respective episode you have a question or comment on in the episode thread I have posted on Facebook or Instagram. Make sure to join us next week for the mid-season finale of Season 2, Faith. This is probably one of my favorite episodes of Season 2. It is so heart-wrenching, so devastating, and I feel like Katrina Balfe knocked it out of the park. And I love to talk about this episode. So I'm really excited to chat about it with you guys. Make sure to tune in. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and I will chat at you later. Bye.